uh, about oh, about a year and a half after I graduated college, uh, I got I had the great privilege to take a trip uh, to Europe. And so just the way my job was at the time and different things and the way it kind of came together, I got to go and I spent almost two whole months uh, backpacking in Europe. And so it was this great time of, of I got to go and, and go see all these things that I had studied and, and learned about in school. My, my degree was in architecture. And so I took a lot of architectural history classes and art history and all those things that went with my major and really enjoyed that. And so here I got to take this trip. Uh, at the time, I was actually working for an architecture firm. And so that's kind of the way I was thinking, the way I thought about all this. But so as I went... Uh, I went to all these different cities and all these different places throughout Europe, actually started in Ireland and ended in Greece. And so kind of went everywhere in between, went all over. But one of the incredible experiences that I kept having on this trip as I went, as I would plan where I was going, I would go to the city, I would get kind of settled, I'd find the place I was staying, and then I would map out the things I wanted to see. Now, for me, that was often around uh, historic buildings and different architects that I wanted to see their buildings and their different things. And so what I had over and over as I went into these cities is I would I would map out where I was going to go and I would get up and I would walk through the city streets, uh, oftentimes a mile or two to get to these different buildings and these historic sites. But this incredible uh, experience of, of walking through the, sea, I, through the streets, and I can still vividly remember different cities, of, of walking through Bilbao, Spain, and turning the corner and seeing the Guggenheim Museum that architect Frank Gehry did, this incredible modern building and being blown away and walking up to it and getting to see it. Or uh, being in Vincenza, Italy, and seeing the Villa Rotunda that Palladio uh, had had designed several hundred years ago and studying it and seeing it and then to be there or or to walk down the streets of Paris and turn the corner and see the Louvre and see the the uh, there's a great big pyramid out front that I am pay designed later on. And so all these things that I was really excited about, but they went from something that was in a book or slides that I would look at an architectural history class And had thought about and knew they were real and knew they existed to something that I was now standing in front of being overwhelmed by the grandeur of it. And it was this really cool experience. And it was really exciting to go from city to city and see this happen over and over. It went from this thing that was kind of vague in my mind that I knew what the picture looked up to actually being there. And so I start there and I mention that because that's really what I'm trying to get at in this short series we've been doing as we've been in the book of Ephesians. And within this, the last two weeks, and then we're finishing this week, we've been talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so what we've been saying each week is this is what it looks like when Paul tells us to be filled with the Spirit in Ephesians 5 and in verse 18 and following. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he begins to describe what that looks like. And so what we've been trying to do is is we've been spending time and kind of slowing and really talking about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is this foundational doctrine that we believe as Christians, that God is the triune God and the Holy Spirit now indwells us when we become a believer and he's with us and all things. And we can read that on the page and we can see that. But as we slow down and we're talking about what it looks like and what that experience is and what the Holy Spirit does, my hope is that we leave here. And just like I was walking up onto those buildings and now experiencing, there it is. That would be our experience. That we would leave here having seen who this Holy Spirit is and what he does. And we would walk out this week and we would experience him very real in our life. 
And so that's what we're trying to do by slowing down and looking at who the person and the work of the Holy Spirit is. And so if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And the way I've been defining that or talking about that is a, a humble realism with a deep and abiding joy. Oh, we could summarize it this way because it brings us back to the very heart of the gospel. We're more sinful than we ever dared imagined, but we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. And so when we talk about that, that idea that we're sinful, but yet God has met us in that and he has drawn us to himself. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. That's in perfect alignment with everything the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit does. It magnifies Jesus and his work and what he's done. And so to be filled with the spirit is to be right in the middle of that. And so a humble realism with a deep and abiding joy. And then last week, as we were looking in chapter five, as Paul says, don't be drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit. He then tells us what that looks like. And he says it's a life of praise and it's a life of thankfulness and of submission to one another. And so we looked at those three last week. And then this week, we're going to kind of try to round this out a little bit. And I said this last week and let me repeat it again this week. I'm not hitting on everything perfectly of what it looks like to be filled with the spirit, but I'm trying to give you a big picture of what it looks like in scripture. And so it's not complete. It's not exhaustive, but it gives us a pretty good handle on it. And so this week, what we're going to talk about is being filled with the spirit means that we're talking to God, that we're living a life of prayer, that we're hearing from God. We're listening. We're hearing him and then we're obeying him. And as we do, we're bearing fruit. Right. So that's the big picture of what we're going to look at today. We're, we're talking to him. We're hearing him, but then we're obeying. And when we do, that begins to bear fruit. And that's what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. And so that's a pretty good picture of what it looks like. And so in order to do that this morning, we're going to look at what Paul says here. We're going to jump ahead a little bit in Ephesians six and then look part of that passage in second Peter chapter one. And so. Let's start right here in Ephesians 6, if you want to look at that with me. Pick up again in verse 16, where he says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can distinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. And so I'm going to just stop right there for just a second as Paul brings us to this thing of of to be in the spirit. And as he's talking about this and being filled with the spirit and all of this goes together, let me just remind you, we'll come back next week and we'll jump back into Ephesians five. We're going to finish out five and six over the next few weeks. But everything Paul's going to tell us about practical living in our Christian life, he's going to talk about marriage and uh, parenting and work and all these very practical things. But what he's saying is you can't do any of this the way God calls you to without the work of the spirit in your life. And so that's kind of what he's bringing us to. So this is a big banner statement over everything else we're going to look at. But then in chapter six, he gets into this idea of, of spiritual warfare, this idea of what's warring against us and the, the forces in this world and the evil forces that are there. And how do we resist them? And he says here in verse 18, praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, living this life of prayer. And I want us to think about what that looks like as we as we connect that with being filled with the spirit. 
And so if we put our banner statement over this that we've been talking about, this humble realism with a deep and abiding joy. That we're more sinful than we ever dared imagine, but more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. And we put that together and then you read what he says here about praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That these go hand in hand together. And I want you to think about why. If we're if we're recognizing this humility of who we are and how great God is right alongside that comes right in with it is that we desperately need God in all things. And the more that we are aware of that, the more that we are going to be praying and talking to God. And as he says here, uh, with all prayer and supplication, supplication means bringing uh, your needs before the Lord, coming before him, uh, confessing that you need him in all things. And so if we are filled with the spirit and we have this humble realism that this is who I am, but this is who God is and I desperately need him. It's going to lead us to live lives of prayer, to be praying and talking to him in all things. And, and I think, you know, this instinctively in your life when there's something that you don't know about and there's someone alongside you to help you. You ask a lot of questions, right? If you really don't know what you're doing and you recognize where you are, then you start to ask. Right? The, the last year or so, uh, Luke's been helping me work out, right? I, I go to the gym and he tells me what to do. And I ask him about a thousand questions because I don't know what to do. Am I holding this right? Am I standing the right way? Is this because I don't want to hurt myself and I really don't know what I'm doing. And so I keep asking, right? And I keep telling him. But now I'm starting to got it a little bit. And so I don't ask maybe as many questions. And I think that happens in our, our spiritual life as well. When, when things are difficult... When there's struggles in our life, when hard times comes, we're quick to pray, right? Because we become aware of how needy we are when things are difficult. But when things are pretty good, it's easy to kind of be like, I got this. I'm doing okay. Suddenly I'm not so uh, needy in the way that I'm praying. But when we really understand who we are and who God is, when we're really filled with the spirit and we're seeing that it's going to lead us to pray in all things. And so it it just that goes perfectly together. And so here's the question I want to ask and I want you to think about what is your prayer life look like? Just if you were to take inventory of the way you pray and what that looks like, what does it look like? And then what does it say about how you believe things are accomplished and what you can do on your own? And only you can answer that, but I want you to at least think about that. There's two quotes in your bulletin this morning that go right with this idea. Maybe you sat down, maybe you read those, maybe you don't even notice they're there, but they're there every week, right? At the, they usually go with, with what the sermon is and, and what we're talking about. But there's two quotes, and one of them is from Martin Luther, the great reformer. And he says, tomorrow I plan to work from early until late. And in fact, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer, right? I, I hear some like giggles. How many of you, la- how many of you read that when you sat down and kind of went, huh? right? I, yeah, that's kind of my, when I read it. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of cute, right? Why do we do that? Because we go, there's no way I'm going to get up and spend three hours in prayer. I got way too much stuff to do, right? That's kind of the way we operate, right? I don't have time for that. I've got a whole lot of stuff I've got to get done. I don't have time to spend three hours in prayer. You know, I just finished reading Martin Luther's biography this year. And what was so uh, struck me about him as a man is the humility of he knew so clearly he could do nothing without God. 
that he would spend days uh, in confession. When he was a very young priest, he would go to confession and they would say the other priests would groan as he came in because they knew they'd be there for six or seven or eight hours. And he said he could never stop because he would start in confession and then things would pop in his mind as he was confessing. And so he would just keep going. And he was so aware there was a humility of so aware of his need. And so when he says this about I've got a lot to do, so I'm going to wake up and spend three hours in prayer. That's not a joke. It's the way he lived and the way he operated. And I want you to think then the the other quote that's in there from Paul Miller's book called The Praying Life. Uh, I cannot recommend that enough. Uh, I try to read that book about once a year. It's very, very helpful in prayer and how we pray and, and practically helpful. It's not discouraging, but encouraging. But Paul Miller says in his book, if you're not praying, then you're quietly confident that time, money and talent are all you need in life. You will always be a little too tired and a little too busy. But if you, like Jesus, realize that you can't do life on your own, then no matter how busy, no matter how tired you are, you will find time to pray. In Jesus, we see a man fully and perfectly and completely filled with the Spirit, doing everything in step with the Holy Spirit in every way. But yet what you read throughout the Gospels is Jesus would retreat and he'd go off on his own to spend time to pray. The only sinless man, God in flesh, coming down, showing us what perfect humanity looks like. And yet he's spending all this time in prayer. And so I want us just to consider if we talk about wanting to be filled with the spirit and what that looks like, it means we're going to be living a life of prayer. That we're going to be coming before God and bringing all our needs. Uh, If we go back to last week, being thankful, we're going to be thanking him. We're going to be adoring him. All of these things come together when we're filled with the spirit, this humble realism with a deep and abiding joy of who God is and what he's done. And so it's going to look like talking to him, praying. And so I just encourage you, wherever you are in that, begin to pray. If that's a struggle for you, start with little steps. Uh, If you want the book, come find me and I will get you uh, Paul Miller's A Praying Life. I think it's a great help as you begin to think about what that looks like. And so we begin to pray and talk to God, right? To be filled with the spirit means that we're talking with him. But then the second side of that or the second part of that is not only are we talking to him, we're hearing and then we're obeying him. It's not just talking to him, but it's in hearing God. And so the question becomes, how do we hear God and what does that look like? And this is where it can get kind of hard to pin that down exactly when we talk about being filled with the spirit and hearing God and what that looks like. And so if you would flip with me to second Peter chapter one that we read just a second ago, if you're using the pew Bible 590, if the got the blue and white one, it's on page 659. But as Peter's writing and he's telling us about uh, what they saw and what they came to, listen to what he says. He says, we did not follow clearly devised myth when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Right, so this is the apostle Peter writing to the early church to encourage them in a very difficult time. And he says, for when we received honor and glory from God, the father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter's saying this is not a story we made up. 
This is not something that we heard from somebody else over time. We were there and we saw this and we were with Jesus and we saw his glory and we heard the father's voice. And so Peter's telling you, we were eyewitnesses to these things. And then he says, we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says, I'm telling you what I saw and I was there and I was witness to these things. And then he says, and as we've written it down and, and we have God's word, none of God's word is written without the person and work of the Holy Spirit carrying us along. And so this is a huge doctrine of what we believe as Christians, that the Holy Spirit has written God's word, that it's not just the work of men. It's not just some guys who wrote down what they saw and what they did, but the Holy Spirit carries them along to do so. A couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at Jesus and his promise of the Holy Spirit and what he was going to do, he tells the disciples this. He says, I'm going to bring these things to mind. I'm going to send the spirit, the great helper, and he's going to bring all these things to remembrance as you're going to write these down. And so we believe the Bible is not just the words of men, but it is inspired and written by the Holy Spirit, by God himself. And so when we start to think about how we hear God and what that looks like we always are going to start with God's word. The Holy Spirit has written the word of God. And so if we want to know what the spirit says and we want to hear him and we want to obey him, we start right here with what he's clearly said in his word. He's written this and he's written it to us that we could know God and we could grow in our relationship with him. And so when we start to say, I want to hear the spirit and obey him. Sometimes we talk and kind of uh, God's laying on my heart or I have this feeling or God told me this or I feel this way. And that's not wrong. I'm not going to tell you that's wrong, that God doesn't speak to us. I think he does. And I think he does bring things to mind. I think he is working in that way. But when we make it just that, sometimes when we talk about hearing from God and hearing the spirit, we make it just that the way I feel and the way I hear. And I think it's this. And I think God's leading me in that way. And I think we can quickly get off track if that's all we do. If we say we just hear God in that way and it's apart from his word and what he's clearly told us in his word, we're going to get off track. And here's why, because the Holy Spirit has written the word of God and he will never, ever contradict himself. And so when we start to go, well, God told me this. And then we say something that's not what the scriptures say. This is not unscientific. This is me and my life, my personal experience. So take that for what it's worth. This is not the Bible. This is me talking. Of the people that say to me, God told me, followed by whatever they tell me. I would say roughly half the time it's in contradiction with what God's word says. I hear people say that all the time. God told me, right, that I should move in with my girlfriend. I don't think he did. Right? I don't think that goes with what it says in Scripture. Or, or they'll tell me things like that. Or they'll say things that God told me and then it's very subjective. And it's not that it's against Scripture, but you're like, I, okay. How do we do that? 
How do we operate in that? And I think the, the thing that we need to come to is we always stand under God's word. Always. We always want to bring it back to what God's word clearly tells us. And here's part of the reason why we talked about this a little bit last week. I said the struggle we have with being thankful and everything. And it said sometimes we know what God has done and who we are and the way he loved us. And then we struggle with thankfulness, right? Because remember last week he said to be filled with the spirit is to be thanking God, giving thanks always and for everything. That's pretty hard. And the reason it's hard is because the circumstances of life come in and press in on us. And then our feelings and our emotions get aroused by the things that we're seeing right in front of us. And oftentimes we operate in our emotions rather than what we believe. We believe that God says, I will work all things together for those called according to his purposes. We believe that. And then something really bad happens and we throw our hands up and go, nothing good can come from this. Why do we do that? It's because my emotions are overwhelming me because of the circumstances right in front of me and I'm letting it stand over what I believe. Right. And so we do that at different times and we struggle that way. And so when we start to go, I feel like God's telling me and showing me. And it's always just about this subjective feeling that I have. Let me remind you, we are sinful, broken people. It doesn't mean that you don't have the fullness of the Holy Spirit indwelling you as a Christian. You do. You are a new creation and God is at work in you. But we're still sinful and we're still battling against our flesh, which is almost all of what he's been saying in Ephesians. Put off your old self, put on the new self. Don't walk in the darkness, walk in the light. He's saying these things over and over that it's this constant struggle. And so when we make it this thing that's very uh, emotionally driven and how we feel about it, we can quickly get off into some kind of weird things. And so we have to let God's word always stand over us in all things. And so God has given us his word. Uh, his word is sealed. It's, it's finished. It's complete. Um, I think we get that from Revelation. These are eyewitnesses that were there seeing these things carried along by the Holy Spirit, giving this revelation to us. And so John writing, knowing he's writing after everyone else, says that if you add to this or take away. And I think he's talking about all of the canon, all of Scripture. But when we talk about God indwelling us in the spirit and teaching us and leading us and guiding us. Yes, absolutely. But it's going to be with God's word standing over it. And so we have to be very careful to to come to it. And is that in alignment with what God's word says? Not just operating on emotion and a feeling. It's always going to be under God's word. And so what it means when we start to talk about how we hear and how we obey, we need to know God's word. We need to have it dwelling richly in us. And when I say know God's word, it means actually studying through books of the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed this, but that's why we do that here. We go straight through Ephesians and we look at all the verses. And the reason we do is it makes it harder to mess up the context. That doesn't mean that I can't mess it up. And I'm sure I have at different times. I'm sure there's been things that I've gotten off. But it, it makes it easier when we're going through and the Paul's building on his argument one after another and he's showing us those things. If we go and we just take a verse out, you can pretty much make a case for whatever you want to make a case for if you're just grabbing verses from here and there. 
And so if we're going to let God's word stand over us in authority, we have to come underneath his word and let it guide us in the way that we see those things and know that that's how God's most clearly speaking to us. But what about the the uh, areas where we're kind of outside of God's word? You're seeking the Lord on should I take this job or should I move to this place or should I do this other thing, whatever it may be. Right? Does, does God speak to us and does he show us and does he open? And I think he does. And I think we are to bring all things before him. But there's no verse. There's no verse I can point you to that tells you what job to take. I don't think. If you know where it is, come tell me. It'd be nice to know like where those. Right. But there's times when we're, we're, we're seeking the Lord and there's not just the clear answer in Scripture. And so how do we begin to make those decisions? And being filled with the Spirit goes back to what we talked about last week in chapter 5 and verse 21. And he says, you're being filled with the Spirit is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We seek the wise counsel of other believers and let them speak into that together. There's this weird thing that's happened in our country and in the church in America. It's me and God and I talk to God and he'll tell me and then that's the way I operate. That is born out of our culture being an individualistic culture that sees that it's just me and God. The Bible doesn't know anything about that. It tells you over and over to to hold one another accountable and to speak together and seek the wisdom and counsel of others and come before the Lord praying. Because what happens is we have the same spirit. And when God is leading and guiding you, you know what happens? There's this incredible unity that comes. If you're praying about it and I'm praying about it and we're seeking God on it and we go, yeah, I think that is what he's saying. And we all feel that and we all see that it's a it's a confirmation and God does that. It's one of the great gifts of being in a church that is uh, led by elders. We have five elders. I don't make any decisions by myself. I don't ever go, hey, I think God's telling me this and now we got to do that. I may say, I think God's telling me this and leading us in this way. What do you guys think? Would you pray with me about this? What does scripture have to say about it as we come under God's word together and pray together and use the wise counsel of more than one? And so we start to look at what that looks like. It's going to be under God's word, but seeking the counsel of others. But what about obedience itself? So we hear God through his word and the wise counsel of others. And we come and we bring that always uh, holding it up to what his word says. But what about actually obeying? Being filled with the spirits, not just knowing what God's word says. Right? Would you say someone is filled with the spirit if they can quote all the verses to you, but they don't do any of it? Probably not. It's, it's actually obeying. And in fact, I've made this point before, but the scriptures talk about knowing is doing. That when you really know something, it manifests and that you do it. And so what about obeying the spirit in everything? And so I think of Romans chapter six, where Paul says uh, that we've died to sin. Should we continue to sin that grace would abound? And he says, no. That's not who you are anymore. You are dead to sin and you now have the spirit inside. You now get to live this life following God and what he's called us to do. And he will empower you to obey. 
God's not calling us to something that we're not. It's not possible. Now, it's not possible in and of myself, but it's possible because of the power and work of the Holy Spirit in me. Remember what we said the very first week, the Holy Spirit will come and magnify and glorify Jesus. And Jesus says he will take what's mine and declare it to you. And so think about what is Jesus's. He's defeated sin and death. He's defeated all things. All things are under subjection to him. Take heart. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. He's going to come and take what's mine and declare it to you. And so in the power of the spirit, being filled with the spirit, we can obey. And we begin to do the things that God's telling us and showing us and calling us to, which is ultimately going to be under his word. And so as God is teaching you and guiding you and showing you, then the next step is to begin to do it, to obey. And so we do a, a, a simple thing. We did it with our guys in the first night we did the guys meeting at the beginning of the year. What is God saying to me? What am I hearing from God as I'm spending time in his word and I'm seeking him? What is he saying to me? And then the second thing is, what am I going to do about it? And who am I going to share it with? And then what is the action step to actually do it now? And if we want to be filled with the spirit, it's not just hearing. It's not just being vaguely aware of what God's doing and saying, but it's then taking that and acting on it and believing. And operating in faith and doing the things that he's called us to do. And then the last part that kind of encapsulates all this, when we do, when we abide in his word, when we're trusting him, when we're believing him in these things, you will bear much fruit. Right? Jesus says that you abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. The spirit is going to take what's Jesus's and proclaim it to you. And as you begin to obey and live out of that, you will begin to see fruit in all these different ways. And so often I think we we know that and it's a head knowledge and we think about it. and We go, yes, that's right. And as Christians, we go, man, I'd love to see great revival. I'd love to see people come to faith. I'd love to see God moving around me. I want to be filled with the spirit and see those things. And then we don't do anything about the things that God's told us. Like he tells us to go make disciples. Go proclaim what Jesus has done. That's obeying the spirit. That's being filled with the spirit and following him into those things. And when we do, guess what happens? God shows up and does the things that he promises to do. And he invites us to live into that fullness of what it looks like to be filled with the spirit. Abiding in his word and obeying him and speaking to him in all things. And there's a realism of, of as you do that, you realize I can't do this on my own which pushes you to be more dependent on the spirit, which pushes you to be more filled with the spirit because you're recognizing I cannot do this. And so it's a life of prayerful talking to God and everything. God, I can't do this. I don't know how this works. I can't change someone's heart. And he says, well, keep talking to me. I can. And so when we look at the big picture of what it means to be filled with the spirit, it's, it's a humble life, a humble realism with this deep abiding joy. That there's a thankfulness, there's a, a life of praise, there's submitting and living in community together, talking to God and hearing him, obeying him and then seeing the fruit of that. So if you don't know where to start, 
What does it look like to be obedient? What are the next steps? I would just ask this week. You go, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm filled with the Spirit daily. Open your Bible. Prayerfully open your Bible, asking God to show you. Listening to His voice as you open His Word. And He meets you in that. Praying in all things. And then obeying Him. It's really not difficult. It's not a trick. It's really that simple. Praying and asking, spending time in His Word, and then doing it. And so I'm going to end here. Uh, I talked to my brother, uh, Jeremiah, on Wednesday. And I'm just going to confess to you, here we've been in the middle of the Holy Spirit and what that looks like. And the last two weeks have been so hard for me. Been so dry in a lot of ways. Doing the things that God tells me to do because I know I'm supposed to do them, but they're difficult. And my brother said, are you seeking God's face above all else? You know, I'm talking very technically about all these things and what it looks like. I was like, I don't know. And so Wednesday in the middle of sermon preparation, I stopped and I walked for two hours and prayed. And I sang and I listened to God and I was overwhelmed with his presence. It's that simple. Stop what I'm doing and seek his face. Yesterday, I built a fence in my backyard. If you saw me building my fence, there was a whole lot of this. The whole time, all I listened to was praise music, and it was wonderful. The songs we were singing this morning, I was so glad to come here and sing them. I can't wait to sing them with other people. Thanking God for the things He's doing. And it was that simple. And it's not magic, it's not anything, it's that God is real, and He shows up. You know, I put on my headphones, I almost just, I know that's hard to believe, I almost started crying in my yard. <laughs> But I put on my headphones and I pushed on my podcast and it was on random. And it was a sermon I'd listened to years ago from Tim Keller. And he was talking about uh, spiritual depression when you're struggling. And it just came on. And he talked all about seeking the Lord in the word and in prayer. And I listened to it and it was so great. And then the very next sermon had something to do with all the same stuff. And then singing those songs. And God is so gracious. And I just all day. God, you are so gracious to me that when I'm struggling, you meet me in the middle of it. And all it is is stopping and seeking your face. And so we talk about all these things in different parts. And I'm very analytical and want to break it down into all those things. But I think it's that simple. Talking to God and listening to him and opening his word and spending time with other believers seeking him. And then obeying the things he tells you to do. If we all were living that way each day, and that's not an indictment on you, but I want every day of my life to be like that, what it would look like to be filled with the Spirit. To be walking in step with Him in everything always. I know what it would look like. Praising Him and giving thanks and submitting to one another and talking to Him and obeying Him. I want nothing more than that for our church. I want it to be that, like walking up into those buildings and there it is. And we read about who God is and what He looked like and then you go, there He is! And He's doing it. 
So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the glorious good news of your gospel. That you have saved us by your grace. That you have dealt graciously with us in all things. And so we thank you for that. I pray that you would remind us when we forget. I pray that as we stop and we seek you and we pray and we come to you, that you would just overwhelm us with your presence as we were singing this morning. That you would set our hearts aflame for you. I pray that we would be overwhelmed in all ways. I pray that you would uh, show us the things that you would have us to do each day. The things, that, the, things the people, the places, the, the, the opportunities you've given us right in front of us. And I pray that we'd be obedient as we hear your voice, as you show us. And in doing so, that we would just be overwhelmed with what you're doing all around us. And so we thank you for that. We do pray that you would fill us with your presence each and every day. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.